0: So uh, I'm going to ask David to come up. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us. Let's pray as we come. I know David will probably pray in a minute, but it'd be good to pray together. (laughs) Father, I just want to thank you so much for David and for Caroline. Thank you so much for all that you've sown into their lives and all that we've learned through them. And Lord, we do thank you for The ministry you've given and lord we do ask that as david brings the word again that we'd have receptive hearts lord that we would be willing to submit to what you are saying to us and that lord you would anoint david and strengthen him lord father for this message we ask that you lord your anointing to be upon his speaking and all our hearing we pray father and we will give you all the praise and the glory thank you for bringing him and caroline safely to us today
1: morning morning. it's lovely to be here with you all and see old friends new faces actually i think you've increased in number and i've increased in girth (laughs) but we won't talk about that um so it's wonderful to be with you i want to extend the love and best wishes of the church in aylesbury where caroline and i meet to you all and if it's all right with you i will take yours back to them as well. It's good to be one in Christ, especially in these days, I think, when um, we need to learn to stand together more and more in the days in which we're, even if you've never met each other, supporting one another in prayer is a really good thing to do. Well, John's quite right. I do make it my habit to pray before I speak for all sorts of reasons, Um, but actually because I want to ask the Lord to do something. So let's pray. Father, we want to ask you this morning that you would open our eyes to see something of the Lord Jesus afresh. Father, we want to ask you for that fresh sight of your Son. For those of us who've known him for some years, we'd ask that you would give us a new sight of him. But Lord, for those who are afar off and haven't yet seen, we'd ask that you'd open our eyes to see you, perhaps for the first time. Lord, we do ask that you would grant us something of the unfolding of your word in such a way that we see things afresh and anew. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Whilst you're turning there, I'm just going to sort of witter on and fill the time. I was, um, been asking the Lord what exactly I should speak to you about on this occasion, and I have to say there have been a number of things which have been going through my mind and I've been wondering about, and in the end I decided to do something which I don't very often do, (coughs) which is, um, to focus exclusively on the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, just to look at what he is like, who he is like, what his character is is like, so that we see something of him afresh and anew, um, God willing. So if you've reached Luke chapter 19, you will find there an account of the Lord Jesus. And it says, Jesus, that begins he, but it is Jesus it's talking about, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost (coughs) well Jesus has come to Jericho and is passing through the opportunity for Zacchaeus was limited if Zacchaeus was going to see Jesus he had to act there and then he couldn't leave it until the next day or the day after that. He couldn't come back a month later. Opportunity for Zacchaeus was limited. If he missed the opportunity, he might not get another. It's a very sobering thing, really, if you consider that your opportunity to see and to meet with the Lord Jesus might be limited to this next half hour. And you might not get another opportunity because the Lord Jesus might be passing through. And for you, there might not be another occasion because as you leave the car park, you could be mown down in the road outside. It is a very sobering thing. Opportunities to meet with the Lord Jesus are limited. And Zacchaeus knew that. Jesus was passing through. He wasn't going to lose the opportunity so all I'm going to do is just read through this account and just expand on some of the things we find here and we're told this man called Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich I'm going to be very brave does anyone here work for the inland revenue (laughs) nobody's prepared to admit to it I'm not sure that Zacchaeus would put his hand up either if he was here to be honest let me ask another question who here likes tax collectors (laughs) who likes paying their taxes I mean I don't think any of us do actually I got quite fond of the inland revenue one year because they gave me money back (laughs) but that doesn't really happen very often does it I mean why do we not like tax collectors well the reason is because they have a right in law to go into your bank account, see how much is there, put their hand in and take some of it, and that's what they do, isn't it? And this time of year, that's their that's their job, isn't it? And that was Zacchaeus's job. Actually, uh, it was far worse in Israel in these days than it is for us. You see. The tax man in these days is strictly limited as to how much of your money he can take. But here in these days that we're reading of with Zacchaeus, actually it didn't work like that. The tax system worked something like this. Zacchaeus paid the Roman authorities for the right to collect taxes. In other words, he paid the taxes up front. He then took as much money from you as he could possibly prize and kept the difference. So naturally enough, most people thought Zacchaeus was a thief. And he probably was. He was probably extorting money from them, which he had no right to do so. Life gets a bit worse for Zacchaeus because, of course, when we pay our taxes, we're paying taxes to do things like fill in the potholes in the road, pay for the National Health Service, Um, pay for the police force, pay for your dustbins to be collected, all of those things, which we all value. Actually, I quite like paying taxes in the sense that it provides services for me, which I appreciate. And I like having my dustbins emptied and so on. And I'm willing to pay something towards that. Of course, for these people in Israel, when they paid taxes, it all went to Caesar in Rome. None of it was for Israel, it was for Rome so this is a foreign power coming into your bank box and grabbing as much money as it possibly can they also had issues over whether it was right for religious reasons to pay taxes at all and there was a religious debate going on and we read about that later in Luke's gospel over the question of should one pay taxes anyway To Caesar or not. There was a big religious debate over it. So poor old Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Actually, it gets worse. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, he was the most senior member of the inland revenue, certainly in that district. And he was rich. That's enough to make him unpopular, isn't it? Just on its own, without where he got the riches from. And he got those riches from your pocket whilst you weren't looking. Actually, he got them while you were looking, which makes it even worse. Well, here is Zacchaeus, and he ventures out of his house, and he is trying to see who Jesus was. But he's unable to because of the crowd, for he's of small stature. I can sort of understand that, If if you are of small stature and there is a crowd, you sort of go to the back of the crowd and you say, excuse me, do you mind if I can come through to the front? And everybody is deaf all of a sudden. (laughs) You know, and you sort of put your shoulder in and you suddenly find actually they're quite strong. So what you normally do is sort of back off a bit, this is my experience, and you look for something to climb on, a wall or a bank Something a little bit behind everybody so you can peer over their heads. That's what you do if you're small. Well, Zacchaeus found a tree. He ran on ahead and climbed on into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was about to pass through that way. Zacchaeus inconvenienced himself to see Jesus. I don't know how old Zacchaeus was, but I do know I watched my young grandson attempting to climb a tree, and I thought, gosh, if I was younger, I might do that, Uh, and I decided very quickly that I wasn't going to inconvenience myself by climbing trees anymore, but Zacchaeus inconvenienced himself to do it. Here is a grown man who climbs a tree. I mean, I don't know when I last saw that, Um, a grown man climb a tree. So, you can see, Zacchaeus is actually very enthusiastic to see the Lord Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He is desperate to see Jesus. He's prepared to come out when everybody hates him and climb a tree in full sight of everybody. That would give them stuff to talk about afterwards, wouldn't it? Laughing at him, climbing the tree. Because he wants to see Jesus. Well, it raises the question... Who was Jesus? Why would a grown man, who's very unpopular, climb a tree in order to see him? Who was he? What was he actually like? Well, I'm sure many of you appreciate this, but some of you may not really have thought about it. Actually, this book, which we have here, the Bible, is actually a collection of historic manuscripts. Just because you can go to a bookshop and buy it does not mean that it is not historic manuscripts. This is in the New Testament, which talks about the life of the Lord Jesus and the growth of the early church. We have 27 historical manuscripts contemporary with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ who talk about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And much of it is eyewitness accounts I can't think, actually, of any other historical figure where there is as much historic evidence as these 27 manuscripts that we have here. Well, you may say, weren't they all written by people who quite liked him? And therefore, aren't they biased? Well, yes, they were written by people who quite liked him in general. They are the accounts of people who appreciated the Lord Jesus, but not everything is actually in them. You find the centurion, who actually was responsible for making sure Jesus' is death. His testimony is in there as well. And uh, the Romans, their testimony is in there as well. But by and large, these are people who like Jesus. So you might say, that's all biased. Well, the Jewish historian, Josephus, lived in AD 37, and he most certainly was not a Christian, So he is an independent witness, and he's a historian, and he writes about Jesus' wisdom, he writes about Jesus' wonderful works, he writes about Jesus' disciples, he writes about Jesus' crucifixion, and he writes about Jesus' resurrection. And he is an independent historian who has no axe to grind in the matter. So we have 27 historic documents here and the account of a Jewish historian who has no gain from it. You might well say, well, shouldn't we expect to find something in the records of the Roman Empire on the matter of Jesus? Well, we do. We find two Roman politicians, Tacitus and Pliny. They both write of Jesus and early Christianity. And Tacitus tells us precisely when Jesus lives, he tells us that he was executed while Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect in Church of Judea, that's between AD 26 and AD 36. And when Tiberius was the emperor, that's between AD 14 and AD 37. So there is no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was a real historical person. Jesus really lived, and we have a record of his life, confirmed by those who have no vested interest in it. Well, what was his character like? Well, from these New Testament documents, we can see something of the nature of the Lord Jesus. First of all, all types of people wanted to see Jesus. We've just read of Zacchaeus and the lengths to which Zacchaeus was prepared to go, but he wasn't alone. All of society wanted to see him. We read of the outcasts and criminals wanting to meet Jesus. Right the way through to Herod, wanted to meet jesus so the most senior person governor in the country also wanted to meet him everybody wanted to meet him from the lowest to the highest wanted to meet jesus so zacchaeus is not unusual zacchaeus is very typical of the sort of people in their desperation to meet jesus Well, you're all being very good this morning and I can't see any mobile phones or anyone tweeting or texting or updating their Facebook account. You know, it's rather boring. Will you talk for a long time? No, actually, I won't. You're all being very good. Actually, when Jesus spoke, it describes the people who listened to him. And this is the way Luke describes the people who listened to the lord jesus he says all the people were hanging on every word he said you know that's something else isn't it they didn't want to miss a single word that he said they not only were desperate to see him but they wanted to hear him and they wanted to take note of what he said what he said registered in their hearts and meant something to them and they didn't want to miss anything when he spoke in the temple in jerusalem we're told people got up early in the morning to go to the temple in order to get a place to hear him they set their alarm clocks early because they knew if you didn't get out of bed early and get to the temple early you wouldn't going to get a place to hear the lord jesus when he was speaking in the temple. So they got up early to hear him. Not only that, but in Mark's account of the life of the Lord Jesus, he tells us where they came from. And this is extraordinary. It says this, this is Mark chapter 3. Jesus withdrew to the sea, this is the Sea of Galilee, with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed. Well, you'd expect that. People from the locality followed him and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, all coming to hear Jesus. Idumea is actually uh, around the southern end of the Dead Sea, in the region of Beersheba. They were coming from that sort of region, as far south as Beersheba Sidon is about in modern terms halfway between Beirut and the Lebanon-Israeli border those places are 175 miles apart people were walking 100 miles to see and hear the Lord Jesus not only from north and south but they were coming from the east of the Jordan as well from all over that area of the world, people were flocking on foot to see and hear this man. Well, I don't know anybody like that, to be quite honest. I mean, even people don't even go to that lens to see David Beckham or Victoria, <laughs> do they? I mean, it is extraordinary that people were walking these different distances to see him. If you happen to be close enough, when Jesus walked past and you had a problem, you cried out for dear life because you wanted the Lord Jesus to see you. So we read in Mark chapter 20 of two blind men sitting by the wayside. And when they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. They were calling out because they wanted Jesus to to know they were there and perhaps even to stop if they could just get his attention. We read in Mark chapter 5, there was a woman who had a flow of blood. And of course, this flow of blood, actually in religious terms, it would make her unclean. And she was really brave. She was so desperate, she crept up behind the Lord Jesus and just touches his cloak. It was a brave thing to do because if you were unclean to touch a rabbi, you, you were risking their wrath. But, of course, Jesus wasn't like that. He had compassion on the people who met with him. There were some men, I don't know how you'd feel about that if it was here, some men broke open the roof of a house. I'm not sure I'd have been too keen on having the roof of my house taken off so they could lower a crippled man through to land at Jesus' feet. Extraordinary things people did to meet with him. Why? Well, the blind received their sight, the lame walked, lepers were cleansed, the deaf had their hearing restored, even the dead were raised to life. That's why you walk 100 miles. Not just because this man is a good speaker, but because there is power in his life to deliver and to save from the situation where you find yourself. Well, what about Zacchaeus? We've got as far as verse 5. Now, I hope you see how Zacchaeus is just typical of the people who longed to see Jesus. He's just a typical example. And he's up his sycamore tree. And Jesus is walking along the road. And Jesus comes to the sycamore tree, to that place. And he looked up. That's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Jesus is walking along. He gets to the tree. He stops and he looks up. I expect Jesus had seen loads of people up trees. I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing to do if you're short. Climb a tree. There must have been hundreds of them. But he gets to this particular tree, and he looks up, and he stops. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Jesus knows his name. Well, now we see something else. Up to now, all we've seen is Jesus, this man, walking along the road. But when Jesus gets to Zacchaeus' Tree and looks up, what you see is something completely different. Now you see the Son of God. Now you see divine knowledge. This is what made Jesus different. Jesus is the Son of God. He knows Zacchaeus' name. And for Zacchaeus, what does that mean? If you can imagine it, you're up this tree, you're sort of a bit wobbly. And this man comes along and stops and he knows your name. What else does he know about you? Perhaps he knows all about your life. He knows exactly what you're like. Well, actually, Jesus did know all about the people he met. He met another woman at a well in Samaria and struck up a conversation with this woman and what he said was shocking to her. They have this conversation and they're talking about this well with its water. And I'll just read you a little bit of the conversation. Jesus answered her and says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. I wonder if somebody said that to you, whether you would understand a word they were talking about. I mean, I don't think I would, and I don't think this woman did. Because she says, sir, give me this water, so I'll not be thirsty, or I'll have to come here to draw again. Perhaps you could fit a pump to the well, and then I wouldn't have to draw the water out. Is that what you're talking about? You're going to put a pump here? Well, Jesus then really reveals that he knows her. His divine nature becomes apparent in just the same way that it did to Zacchaeus. Suddenly, Jesus is, is as if he takes the cloak off and you see Jesus as the Son of God. And this is what he says. He says to her, go and call your husband and come here. It's an extraordinary thing to him to say. Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you've answered me Correctly saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man whom you have now is not your husband. You see, to her, he literally told her her life story. Absolute disastrous life story. He knows all about you. The Lord not only knows your name, but he knows all about you all of the disastrous history that you have and each one of us has a disastrous history one way and another for this woman she had been unfaithful multiple times for Zacchaeus he was a thief really well let's go back to Zacchaeus Jesus knows all about him. And Jesus knows all about you. There is nothing that you can hide from the Lord Jesus. He knows everything there is to know. That might make you feel a little uncomfortable. But I don't know it, so you're all right. I don't know. Well, verse 7. Then they saw it. This is the crowd the crowd see that Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus. And they began to grumble, saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Oh, we've missed a bit, haven't we? We'd better go back to verse 5. What does Jesus say to Zacchaeus? Jesus says, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he's going to go and stay with him. Now, things are getting a bit awkward, I think. You see, if you're Zacchaeus, maybe you climbed the sycamore tree because you just wanted to see Jesus. You didn't really want this degree of penetrated, you know, vision. You didn't really want to meet someone who knew all about you. And if you were going to meet them, perhaps they could move on a bit, quite quickly. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not going to be like that, Zacchaeus. Actually... I'm going to come and stay at your house. Well, Zacchaeus does the right thing. He hurries and comes down, probably fell out of the tree, I imagine, and received him gladly. So Zacchaeus agrees. And then they began to grumble, all the crowd, saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I wonder what your view is of, you know, holy men. The Son of God. Who should the Son of God associate with? The crowd clearly believed that the Son of God should associate with men who were holy, not sinners. But really, life isn't like that. When I was thinking about, as it's quite a long drive down here, and as we drive down, I tend to think about what I'm going to talk about. And I was thinking about my life at work, and I. I was a university lecturer. And I was thinking about all my students. They were postgraduate students, so they'd paid about £17,000 to study my course. Something like that, a lot of money. And I was thinking about one particular student, and I could not teach this student anything. He'd paid £17,000, and I could teach him nothing at all. Why? Because he knew everything already. I don't know why he paid the money. But whatever I taught him, he knew that was wrong, he knew better. He knew everything already. Most students, if they've paid out £17,000, they're not like that. They go to to a university to learn because they know they don't know everything. I was thinking about our doctor. And I was thinking, I bet if you go in the doctor's waiting room, you won't find many healthy people. Because why do people go to the doctor? People go to the doctor because they're ill. Why did Jesus want to see sinners? Because they needed him. Those who were right with God didn't need Jesus at all. In fact, he could do nothing for them. He tells a story, tells a parable in Luke chapter 18 about some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and viewed others with contempt. And two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Wonder whether he had Zacchaeus in mind when he told this. The Pharisee stood up and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, And I pay tithes of all I can get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was not willing to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went away to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, will be exalted you see God is interested in sinners not the self-righteous you can't do anything for the self-righteous just the same as you can't teach somebody who knows everything or those who are well don't need a doctor it's those who are sinners who need salvation then I think we come in verse 8 to the most important word in this whole passage about Zacchaeus. There in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stopped. Zacchaeus stopped. You know, there comes a point in your life if you have met with the Lord Jesus Christ when you need to stop and to make a decision this is the point of decision for zacchaeus how is he going to react to the lord jesus is he just going to carry on living the way he has let that day pass by and just let life go on maybe jesus will come this way again and there'll be another occasion or is zacchaeus going to meet with the lord jesus and stop and change his life and respond to what is being said to him and zacchaeus stops everything in zacchaeus life up to that point comes to a dead halt from this point on it's a different zacchaeus zacchaeus has stopped now we've got a new zacchaeus everything is going to change for zacchaeus because he's met the living Lord Jesus Christ. And he's met a man who knows him. More than that, he's met a man who loves him. This is not Jesus coming and saying, Zacchaeus, you're a bad man. This is Zacchaeus, This is Jesus coming and saying, Zacchaeus, I know all about you and I love you. And Zacchaeus responding to the love of the Lord Jesus. No one else was having dinner with him. No one else wanted to associate with him. He was a complete outcast. Everybody hated him. When he went to the meeting in the synagogue and the speaker stood up and said, put your hand up if you work for the Inland Revenue, (laughs) Zacchaeus sat on his hands. Nobody else liked him. And here is Jesus who wants to eat with him. He's responding to the love of the Lord Jesus and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the divine Lord Jesus manifested to Zacchaeus. And how does he respond he stops and then we see the new zacchaeus coming forward and he says to the lord lord behold lord half of my possessions i will give to the poor and if i've defrauded anyone of anything i will give back four times as much if you want to know what repentance is this is it this is repentance this is what repentance looks like this is an act it is a positive thing he's not just sorry for what he's stolen he's going to give four times as much back and that means he will never ever do it again if he starts stealing again and has to return four times as much bankruptcy looms this man is never going to steal again the cost of stealing is far too great for the repentant sinner for the repentant sinner, the life must change. The cost is too great of not changing. This is repentance. Sorrow for what's been done and a putting of it right. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Well, yeah, that's an odd thing, isn't it? I wonder whether Zacchaeus understood what he meant. I'm not sure. I mean, we have the benefit of the whole of the New Testament, so we can understand what it is Jesus was talking about when Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. What that word salvation means is deliverance, preservation, safety, rescue. Jesus is saying, I have rescued Zacchaeus. I have saved Zacchaeus. I have delivered Zacchaeus. Deliverance has come to this house. Zacchaeus has been delivered. Delivered from what? What is it that awaited Zacchaeus if he wasn't delivered? Well, when John wrote his account of the Lord Jesus, in John chapter 3, he says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's what you're seeing Jesus doing with Zacchaeus. Jesus is not judging Zacchaeus. Jesus is delivering and saving Zacchaeus. And Jesus has reached out and snatched Zacchaeus from what awaited him. But there will be a day when there is going to be a judgment. A judgment awaits each one of us. If you read what Paul wrote to the Romans, he wrote this, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. You see, there will be a day when the Lord Jesus comes as judge. And it interests me that he judges the secrets of men. You see, we all think that we will be judged for the things which we have done out in the open. But he will come and judge what cannot be seen, what is secret. He will judge what you have wanted to do as well as what you have done. So he will judge the heart And each one of us has wanted to do all sorts of things. I mean, I suppose if I went through my own life, it would take too long to itemise the number of things that I've wanted to do. But just looking down, I've just got a list here of the Ten Commandments, and the one that stands out to me just looking at it is, you shall do no murder. Now, I haven't murdered anybody. I've never murdered anyone. So I suppose if God judges the open events in my life, I'm in the clear. But if God judges the secrets, I've certainly wanted to. There have been people that I have disliked to the point of hatred, really have thought we'd all be better off if they were dead. You shall not commit adultery. Well, I haven't committed adultery. But there have been occasions when I've wanted to. You see, the secrets, if God judges the secrets, I'm in trouble. And I'm in real trouble because Jesus knows the secrets. That's the whole thing about Zacchaeus. Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. So he doesn't only know the open things, he knows the secrets. This woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus knows all about her life. He knows every secret she's got and she knows it. And God will judge us not only for the open things, but for the secret things. And Paul, writing to the Romans, says this applies to each one of us. He says all of us, every single one, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each, there isn't one of us that stands up to the examination. Well, in that verse that I read to you, at the beginning of John's Gospel, where I talked about Jesus coming to save, and that was what we saw with Zacchaeus. Actually, John tells us of something of the outcome of that judgment. And this is what John says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that is the outcome of this judgment. When the Lord Jesus judges, the outcome is that men will perish. And that word perish, it doesn't mean extinction. It doesn't mean oblivion and and a continual sleep with no awareness of anything. That isn't what it means. It means to be utterly ruined. It doesn't mean a loss of being, but a loss of well-being. It's like rubber which is perished And useless. There is a judgment which is awful. Actually, the one person in all the whole of the New Testament who talks talks more about judgment than anybody else is the Lord Jesus himself. And that's not surprising. He is the one who is going to judge. And so he wants more than anyone to deliver from judgment so that it will not be necessary. And this is what Jesus himself said. Of judgment, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to go with two hands into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A most dreadful prospect. But what we see with Zacchaeus is a man who responds to the Lord Jesus. A man who is prepared To get his wallet out, which was the thing that was causing him to stumble, and to say, look, take what you need. It's open. I don't want my wallet to be the cause of this outcome. Take what you need. That's a repentant man. So when Jesus died on the cross, what he did was to take your sin and mine in order that our sin might be forgiven, in order that, like Zacchaeus, salvation might come to your house and to mine, if we're repentant. Well, in Romans chapter 10, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved And then it goes on to say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, there is something of an urgency in that. There is a seriousness in it. Just look at Zacchaeus, a man who was very serious, calling on the Lord and being saved. And if we confess our sins, God will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know whether any of you have never met with the Lord Jesus. But if you have never met with him and this morning your eyes have been opened and if you have seen something of the Lord Jesus that people walked a hundred miles to see, if your eyes have been opened this morning and you have seen him for the first time, I would urge you respond to what you have seen. Come to the Lord and call on him for his forgiveness of your sins call on him for that salvation be ready to see your life changed like Zacchaeus because you may not have another opportunity the Lord Jesus may just be passing through don't miss the opportunity Well, I think I'm going to do something which I actually I never do, but this morning I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And if the Lord has been speaking to you this morning and you want to respond, can I just suggest you raise your hand? And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if the Lord has been speaking to you, can I just suggest you pray after me? So I'll tell you what I'm going to pray so that it doesn't come soon in a sense so you can decide whether you want to pray it or not. This is what I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I have gone my own way. I have sinned in thought and word and deed. I am sorry for my sins. I turn from them in repentance. I believe that you died for me, bearing my sins in your own body. I thank you for your great love. Now I open the door. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and cleanse me. Come in as my Lord and take control of me. And I will serve you as you give me strength all my life. So that is what I'm going to pray. Now, if the Lord has been speaking to you and you want to Respond, just quietly pray along with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I have gone my own way. I have sinned in thought, word, and deed. I am sorry for my sins. I turn from them in repentance. I believe that you died for me, bearing my sin in your own body. I thank you for your great love. Now I open the door, come in, Lord Jesus, come in as my saviour and cleanse me. Come in as my Lord and take control of me, and I will serve you as you give me strength all my life. Amen. Well, if you did pray that prayer, can I just suggest that at some stage over coffee, just have a word with John, your pastor. And just let him know. Actually, when we testify of something like that, it just confirms it in your own heart. If you tell somebody, it establishes it in your heart. That's why it's sensible to tell someone. And it'd be good to tell your pastor. By all means, tell me, but I'm going away. So it'd be better to tell him. Right, shall we pray just to close? Well, Father, we do want to thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that your son was somebody that people wanted to meet. Father, we want to to say to you, Lord, to know the Lord Jesus is the most tremendous thing. And Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of living in an age where we know of him walking on the earth. And we have those accounts of him and his life and we have in him the character of God. And we want to say, Father, it is such a, great privilege to be able to know something of the character of you you the father in the lord jesus and your tremendous love lord we worship you and we are so grateful amen